Hello and welcome, all you people out in quarantine land. This is a special edition. I don't think I've ever done that, where I'm putting out this podcast in the middle of the week. And the reason I'm doing that is last week, my friend Tracy Howe released a new song, Build the World. She released it during uh, a global pandemic. And I know that she would love for you all to go out and find it, not literally go out, but find it, buy it, because all the proceeds go to a cause that Tracy is passionate about. This episode I recorded back in February. Um, It was on my break between season one and season two. And even though I have been shifting focus on the podcast to tips and tricks to survive this thing that we're in, I thought this was a good time to showcase my friend because she is just, she's herself and she's passionate and she's thoughtful and she cares. She cares about the world And she wants to make the world a better place and leave the world a better place whenever she leaves it. So please enjoy and follow Tracy. Thanks for listening. I would like to introduce you to my friend, Tracy Howe Wispelway. Did I say that right, Tracy? You did. (laughs) Do you go by your double last name? Double name? My double name? Your double name? Uh, Yes, I do. It's kind of, I mean, you know, patriarchy as it is. Bam. Um, I... I it took me two years to decide whether I was going to change my name after I got married, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Well, it's a it's a it's a good name, and my daughter's going to have that name." Yeah, and, you know my my um my my what you call it before you're married name maiden. Yes, my maiden. <laughs> just in the, just <laughs> in the name, so it's My maiden name, How, is actually a very common English name, yeah. you know. Uh, and so I'm like, okay, well, Tracy How Wispelway does represent an identity that I claim mm-hmm. now. Uh, so legally, I um, I changed it. And, you know, Tracy's actually my middle name. So now Tracy how is my middle name? Oh, and Whispleway is my last name. Okay, legally, and then that's what I go by. And uh, but then I started um, releasing music again mm-hmm. under my own name, and uh, I decided to release that under Tracy How, partly because I started, you know, decades ago yeah. with that name, and um, Whispleway is really hard to spell. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to take out another domain name, but also it just, it also feels a little, it feels kind of nice to have like a, a different identity, you know, for my, for putting my, my art out. So Tracy Howe is where people will find my music. Okay. Um, and, uh, Tracy Howe Whispleway though, is how I move through the world and in my ministry and work at large. Yeah. Did you, this is a little side note, but I was, you know, looking up some, stuff about you and I put in Tracy Howe and there is a Canadian singer man spelled exactly the same way Tracy Howe and in the um Wikipedia page they've they've given some of your music to his Wikipedia page oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) and he's I mean I do I I He's. I recognize the name of the band. I can't remember what it is now, but I'll put it in the notes at the end because I think he's kind of maybe kind of punk. Interesting. And and I was looking and I was like, no, wait a second. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, I I got dibs on that domain name way back when I was in college twenty years ago. Yeah. So. 
Well, this person obviously did not do the research into the Wikipedia. Yeah. Because this guy is pretty famous. <laughs> and they've mixed... Then it'll, it'll help yeah, people exactly. discover me then. Cheers. It'll, it's just a mix of your songs and his songs. That's hilarious. Yeah. So I've known you... I think I was trying to figure it out this morning. I think we've known each other for over 10 years. Definitely. We met it off the map. And we have been trying to do stuff and connect ever since. Yes. And Tracy, there's so many things that you are, um, and I don't want to limit that, but what I put is you are a musician, a pastor, a mother, founder of Restoration Village Arts. I believe you're a theologian. Mm-hmm. You're definitely an activist. Mm-hmm. Um and I want to talk to you about all the things that you have done and that you kind of, I guess my big thing is because I've known you and from a distance, your life has seemed to, I'm not, I know that there's <laughs> lots of stuff in there, but it seems like it's kind of stayed linear and connected. Like even if you've gone out to get, you know, your MDiv, you have, it's all kind of stayed under the umbrella of who you are. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate that you see that. I think a lot of people would, would not be able to see that, but I hope very much that people who know me and have known me yeah. see that. Well, it's like when I look at you, I think there's like a, there's a thread and you've jumped off to do something, you know, but I feel like you've jumped off to do something to maybe, yes, for yourself, but also weaving something together. Like in my mind, you've always been an activist, but it's progressed as you've aged or maybe deepened as you've aged because you end up being exposed to more things, more people, more cultures or whatever. Yeah. So first I would like to ask you, like, is there anything that you want to say about yourself before we get started? Uh, yeah. So I'll help locate myself a little bit mm-hmm. for listeners who might not have ever met me in person just by sharing that, um, my, my pronouns are she and her. Uh, I have, um, I'm a, of mixed ancestry, Southeast Asian and European descent primarily, um, but present in this world as white and was socialized as white, mm-hmm. um, born in the ancestral lands of the Apache and Cheyenne people now known as Boulder, Colorado, and now living uh, in the ancestral lands of the Tohono O'odham people in what is known as Tucson, Arizona. Uh, I'm cisgendered and uh, in a um, hetero marriage um, and have a expanding understanding of all of those identity markers that I just named. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so I guess that would be my, my starting place. Um, and then we can jump into the journey that you're kind of yeah. talking about. Well, maybe I could ask you first, because I was curious about this. Um, so you, in the last few years, have gotten a tattoo on your chest. Is that your chest? Like yes. your clavicle area? Yes. And it it looks to me, when I look at it, as traditional. Didn't you do the hammer? Is it the hammer? I don't know what you call that. It is not the tapping. Okay. Tapping. So I was really impressed if that was. <laughs> I'm still <laughs> impressed because that area hurts. Yeah. Yeah. I did it in one sitting. It was five and a half hours. But um, yeah, the, the tapping, though, I, my understanding is that it hurts more when you're getting it, but it actually heals faster. Oh, yeah. Um, because it's a little less trauma yeah. to the body. Um, yeah. So that's a, that's a fun that's a fun place to kind of draw the threads of my journey. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is a traditional Filipino tattoo um, from the northern part of the islands. 
And uh, I, you know, my, my father was born in the Philippines on Clark Air Force Base, and his father was a, a U.S. A military person um, of English descent. And then my grandmother is, um, you know, Tagalog, Filipina. Hmm. And I've wondered how you said that because I thought it was Tong. I thought it was Tonglin. Can you say that one more time? Tagalog. Tagalog. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so he lived there till he was thirteen, and then they came back to the U.S. and settled in this very small town on the Colorado New Mexico border, um, and lived on the New Mexico side for a while, and then on the um, Colorado side for a while. I mean, very very rural. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my grandmother, I think to marry my grandfather was for her a way of securing future for herself mm -hmm. and her children. And it yeah. was very wise and strong. Um, and it meant that she had to leave her ancestral land. Yeah. Uh, but she also how I saw and I observed their marriage yeah. functioning, um, that it was like a, a career vocational path that she had chosen to be married to my grandfather, who was um, a very difficult kind of caricature of a person. And um, my father then, who is brilliant, um, you know, like world-class mm. physicist, uh, ended up finding success in in a single job vocation early on and had that job essentially from undergraduate all the way until he retired just a couple years ago. Um, and um, he presents very much as a brown Southeast Asian mm -hmm. person. Um, but I remember him telling me when I was very young, uh, telling me and my brother actually at the dinner table, you know, be very grateful that you were born in America and that you were born white. And he very much um, uh, found his security in proximity mm -hmm. to whiteness. And I've been um, a little bit heartbroken to see him absorb some of the anti-immigrant mm. rhetoric um, that is out there when he himself um, you know, his security is, 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 is brought so much from that proximity yeah. to whiteness. It also erased my connection to um, legacy and ancestral mm -hmm. identity. Um, and a lot of people who are socialized white, who are of European descent, um, this is part of the cost yep. of white supremacy. Um, you know, we, we don't have connection to our ancestral um, places. We don't have connection to the story of movement of people across borders through generations. Uh, our identity is something that is constructed um, through the nation yeah. state and through these systems. Uh, and then everything is built to affirm that. And so to seek liberation from it is very isolating, very yeah. difficult. So on my mother's side as well, you know, um, I am um, uh, Ashkenazi Jew, German, and English. Those would be the primary thing in my um, maternal ancestral lines. Um, but also... <laughs> I've had to work very hard to discover yeah. that, to uncover that. That was not something that yeah. I just knew. And, you know, um, so part of this story, I, um, my, my work in anti-racism and the work to dismantle um, white supremacy is really about mm -hmm. liberation. Um, you know, that I have, and, and those of us who um, are white in the world, I think, you know, to really um, to really be successful and contribute to this collective liberation, we have to find our own stakes. Yeah. It cannot simply be, I want to liberate others so that they enjoy the same yeah. privilege and access that I do. That's not sustaining and we can always opt out. But once we find our own 
stakes and the violence that's been done um, to us, then mm -hmm. we can enter into this collective yeah. movement um, in solidarity. And so in Charlottesville, which has been a large part of our family's story now for the past two and a half years and is still unfolding um, as uh, some of the federal details yeah. um, are still being, you know, are still being processed. So uh, my husband, the Reverend Seth Whispleway, uh, he'll be back in Charlottesville in October because this federal trial uh, is going on holding the organizers of the Unite the Right rally yeah. to account, but also seeking to recognize that white supremacy is violence, period, and cannot hide under the guise of... Yeah, oh, absolutely. So um, that's all still ongoing. But after, you know, and we can talk more about this if you like, but I'll just touch it based on your, your question about the tattoo and identity is that I, I have been, I have had a number of conversion experiences mm -hmm. since we've met. Um, you know, I had some before we met, uh, but those have yeah, continued. I think as um, it should happen in our lives. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, this, this latest iteration of movement in our own context um, I would point specifically to Black Lives Matter and um, the Water mm -hmm. Protector Movement and uh, the Dreamer Movement. Um, those uh, those movements in particular in which I was able to um, enter in through mm -hmm. invitation um, in public witness changed me um, and helped me see my yeah. own mistakes. And it was very extraordinary. You know, I was a person who, uh, yeah, just because of my work in this unique kind of intersection <laughs> of space that I occupy, was invited and very honored to go to these places like Ferguson after the murder of Mike Brown and then Standing Rock when they invited, um, you know, a witness of clergy from around the country um, and then, and I saw, you know, I was following the movement, I was supporting the movement, and then I saw it kind of inching closer to, my, to where mm -hmm. I lived. Uh, and then um, it became the epicenter yeah. for a while, Charlottesville, Virginia. And, I, and um, through that, I mean, it, it was a fire of sorts, but it just crystallized you know, everything so much about the cost of being severed from um, the mm -hmm. whole story. You know, ultimately, I see so much of our work is trying to live into a common yeah. story. And um, I would spend days crying and praying, you know, um, for all these lives and peoples that had been decimated through history, um, some of which were in my own ancestral line and, and just like yearning to understand in the promises of God and in the bigness of God's love, how is it that these lives were not lost, mm -hmm. you know, that their desire and their work is still alive. And I had this moment where I heard or discerned or felt it's when people like myself awaken. Yeah. yeah. And so to me, you know, this, the tattoo was part of my own story and, but also uh, I put it, you know, this is a tradition, this is a traditional yeah. placement, you know, across your chest and the straps, like, um, you know, chil children as young as like, you know, 10 to 12 will get the, the straps you've seen. If you look on my Facebook yeah. profile or in my profiles, you'll see it. Um, as young as 10 and 12 will get these, you know, 
um, lines on their shoulder. And then as, as life goes on and you get married and, and live or children or just life happens, then it starts to fill out. And then your right arm is your paternal side and your left arm is your maternal side. So I only have like my right shoulder. That's the Filipino side. Um, but all those lines, you know, represent interconnection with nature mm, and ancestors. I love that. And I, um, you know, the Filipino tattoo culture is a little more generous than other cultures. You know, there's certainly some like native cultures or other cultures where if you are not fully living and in belonging covenant with those cultures, yeah. you shouldn't get, <laughs> yeah. you know, a tattoo. The Filipino culture, tattoo culture is a little more generous than that. And it really is a, a pride and a, um, a resurgence of, um, yeah, just culture, faith, practice. Uh, and so I, um, I was researching Filipino tattoo artists. There weren't. Oh, that's odd. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Odd thing. And, you know, there are a number in places you would expect where there's big Filipino mm -hmm. communities in the coast of California and up, up the Pacific coast and in, in New York. But then I had the opportunity to go to Hawaii. Yeah. There's such a large population of Filipinos in Hawaii. And so I had, so I was able to connect with an artist and we planned, but this was a process of over a year um, that really began post um, the violence mm -hmm. in Charlottesville. And then over the course of um, a year and the fact that it's in a prominent place for me is, is like, you know, our ancestors and our stories beyond ourselves are present with us, yeah. whether we acknowledge yeah. them or not. And um, so it serves as um, a reminder of uh, the cloud of witnesses and the ancestral presence and even what I need to work to be more connected to. I have a really, you know... I've witnessed such incredible uh, connection from native um, leaders in their absolute, they just are connected yeah. to generations that are coming after. And I don't yeah. have that. I mean, being socialized white, yeah. that's like, <laughs> I have to really fight and cultivate that. And so this helps me yeah. do that. And that's become part of my story. It's beautiful. I, I think one of the things that I hear in what you're saying and, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It's like, whether you intend, intended to do this or not, it's also saying, I am this, or your dad has had to, or felt, sounds like to some degree, had to become more white in order to survive. You are saying, I am yeah. this, and it's right where everybody can see it. Yeah, it's um yeah, that's a that's a hard thing. Certainly there's so many people who are in black and brown bodies yeah. who you know have to they make choices to yep. survive. <clears throat> and I support Yeah, them. whatever it takes. However, however, I think in the case of my father there was a definite um kind mm. of rejection. Uh you know, I definitely have been around um people who are in black and brown bodies who are um, mm -hmm. wise um, in moving through the world and understand yeah. how it works and yet uh, maintain this cultural yeah. resilience and that is very powerful and I lament that my father did yeah. not do that so, yeah, and it's it's also something, you know, I can't claim cultural connection. Um, you know, I'm cultivating relationships. And to be someone who presents as white, you know, race being something that the state yeah. assigns yeah. us. Um, and yet not passing if the Nazis actually took over between Jewish yeah. and Filipino, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, it, it's a both and. And so I have access to the power and privilege of the empire. And I, I recognize that and I own that. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's kind of a, it's just a process complex, yeah. complex thing. And my father does not, I don't, my father does not know about <laughs> this. <laughs> I don't know. You I probably shouldn't look it, your name up on the internet he, then. 
Yeah. It's the first well, picture. It's it's fun. I mean, I yeah. would have no problem like, you know, sharing it with him, but um yeah, it's uh, it's a complex thing. I just don't think he would have a yeah. grid yeah. for any of this language, the differentiating culture and race and ancestry and the you know what yeah, yeah that's that's just, a little i mean even myself it's it's, like a, it's an awakening and a consciousness that's taken place in my life and yeah. continues so that's beautiful um so i guess what i that i mean that is very helpful um to I think to kind of get an understanding of who you are and how you're moving through the world right now and how, how you'll continue to move through the world and also, um, get born again into new things. But I also want to know, I want to ask you like, you're, when I first met you, you were doing music playing in colleges, house churches, conferences, whatever, whoever would invite you. And over the years, you've done different things like go back to school. You've also become, uh, do you call it a minister or a pastor? What's your official title? Uh, yeah, an ordained minister of the United Church okay. of Christ. Yeah. So I guess since since I can kind of see as your friend and somebody that's watched you, the trajectory and the weaving, what, how do you see that it's, that it's woven together? And maybe if you could speak to the vision of um, the Restoration Village Arts, because I can see that it's connected to music and justice and art, but maybe think about it in terms of somebody that wouldn't know you and wouldn't be familiar with your work, how would you, how does that fit into the picture of who you are, Tracy? Sure. <laughs> hmm. Let's see. So, Restoration Village Arts um, envisions a just and beautiful world through arts and theologies. I would say that um, the two prominent things here that would make it unique are, first of all, we're a, um, we recognize the importance of cultural work. Um, you know, there's a whole mental models image of an, up, of an mm -hmm. iceberg and what you see at the tip of the iceberg is actually what's happening in yeah. the world. And if you engage at that level, um, then you're, you're always reacting. Yes. And yet we need people to react because of, um, of trauma that happens whenever something, you know, be it a natural disaster or a, um, a human-made uh, trauma, uh, we need people, first responders, rapid response um, to care for that. However, nothing will change. Yes. That's all we're yeah. equipped to do. Uh, and if you go down, you know, to the first underwater level of the iceberg, um, then you can start to recognize trends that are creating mm -hmm. events. And if you engage at this level, you tend to create programs. Yeah. Um, and, you know, um, Let's start a program for homeless people and giving them mm -hmm. meals or, um, you know, emergency shelter or, yeah. or whatnot. Um, and again, yep. necessary, um, but also will not change ultimately the circumstance that's producing mm -hmm. those trends. Our churches often get stuck at the program. Oh, they love level. a program. Uh, yeah. Partly because, um, you know, the deeper that you go, the longer yeah. it takes to transform. Uh, and so it's, it's um, the two easiest things to do immediately and organize are rapid response and yeah. programs. The next level is yeah. going to be our systems. And in our context, that's going to be policy. And, you know, so it can take 
years um, to change a policy. And if you need to elect officials that are going to support that policy, it takes even longer. And it takes so much organizing and so much education. Um, And yet our system is built, um, meaning in our context, the United States and the way that our our structures, but also our institutions, our businesses, our capitalist system is built on these policies and to engage that is going to take longer. Um, And that's where you're engaging at that level. However, even though we can change the underpinning reality through changing policies, if we do not create a culture that will sustain those systemic changes. Sorry, one second. um, No worries. If we do not create a culture that can sustain those systemic changes, then we can have it bounce back and eroded um, or set back with just the change of another policy. Yeah. We've seen that with yep. this administration and the undoing of years of policy. Um, and in that cultural work, that deepest system, um, I, I have learned to, I've learned a few things. Number one, that's where that we're talking about symbols. We're talking about um, ideology. Uh, we're talking about the stories that we live into. Um, our faith communities are uniquely equipped to engage this level. However, we also um, are uniquely equipped to sustain the status quo and sustain violent systems if we're not if our consciousness is not awakened we don't realize the power that we have in that regard um and the engaging this um can take more than a human life (laughs) and so so much of the work that i do i do in faith um when we talk about music and ideology and theology and symbols Um, Because we're not going to see the fruit. I mean, there's no place. First of all, our economy sits in the systemic level. So even trying to figure out how to fund the cultural work level right now is very difficult. But also understanding, like, um, jumping into this, I've realized that it's been very humbling because then you also see that this work has been going on for generations. And that you might not see a change in your lifetime. Um, and yet to, to, to um, be committed to this level of transformation is really uh, what is driving me. So part of it is the, cult, the cultural work. You know, I just rolled through arts and theologies. Arts and theologies means we are engaging this deepest level of our, um, you know, of the iceberg. And the other thing uh, is a just and beautiful world. Now, for me, justice mm-hmm. includes beauty. But it, but when we were doing kind of our, you know, purpose, mission, vision of, you know, Restoration Village Arts as a 501c3, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we really, I really wanted to put um, just and beautiful because that is not automatically what people uh, think about when they think about yes. justice. Um, and it's not about, you know, there are different, uh, there are different constructs of justice and our, the way that we talk about justice in the system is gross. I mean, it's mostly punitive and not restorative at all. And, um, it's not, yeah, just, so how can we expand our understanding and raise our consciousness about what justice is. And so the questions to ask are, if we are really building justice, is beauty a part of the mm-hmm. world that we're building? And is it sustaining? So so that work, again, is it's an investment in a movement that is far beyond me. And in the past... Um, you know, it, it grew very much out of my music ministry activism. Um, but then after going to grad school and getting married and, you know, I say that we kind of expanded it from the proverbial wagon that I pulled around to a proverbial tent. <laughs> and I, you know, Angie, reflecting on this, I mean, you and Todd have been in this boat too. We have seen the mute, the, the world of being an independent musician just go through several yeah. iterations in the time that we've been doing this. And so um, 
you know, had crowdfunding and Patreon existed when oh, yeah. I was doing my own solo work, I'm sure that that's the route that I would have gone, but it didn't exist. And so I had to actually build this whole infrastructure uh, to help people understand what I was doing. Yes, I'm playing music and I'm also working with this community yeah. and I'm part of this long-term vision and this activism is connected to the yeah. same thing, yeah. you know, like all these things, but, but that's how it unfolded and that's fine. But that also allowed us then to build this infrastructure to support a few others um, along the way. And I'm really proud of the people that we've supported yeah. myself, um, and Todd included. Yeah. We would not have musicians. released our last album if it hadn't have been for you. Yeah, we were just so proud of that and recognize, I mean, I'm part of it, but I also, you know, I see how many views I have oh, on YouTube. <laughs> I know. And and collectively, <laughs> like just wanna you know, like wanna spread it out so that to to see there's just amazing yeah. people who are breathing and breathing life in the yeah. same ways. So seeking out those people and partnering with them has been a part of the work of Restoration Village Arts. And then it kind of came to a climax in the summer of 2017 in Charlottesville, where we were able to use this infrastructure to support mm. movement work in the city. And I'm really proud of, of what we did there. And moving back to Tucson, Arizona was kind of, you know, when we don't have to yeah. get all into the ins and outs. But originally, you know, Seth and I thought that after grad school, we would move to the U.S. Mm -hmm. border, or at least the um, migration yeah. corridor, yeah. Um, you know, Austin, Texas, South. Um, and our extraordinary things happened. And we ended up in Charlottesville, um, where extraordinary yep. things happened, but yep. seven years later. So... <laughs> gave us a little bit of a time to, you know, recover from other things. Um, and so we moved to Tucson, Arizona this summer. And though there were external factors that called us, it also feels like um, a continued rooting in our original vision. And after kind of giving everything that we had in um, Charlottesville, Restoration Village Arts is kind of shrinking back down to the proverbial mm -hmm. wagon where we're just going to be more quieter. We're going to see what it means to be rooted in a yeah. place again and um, uh, reimagine, you know, the place of, of music mm. and that kind of thing. Well, that, that fits really into, well, into the question that I have for you. And it kind of is the question that has birthed most of the conversations or the conversations are born out of it, chicken, egg, whatever. But my question is, <clears throat> what do you do with a vision that is bigger than you? So for instance, you know, maybe you have, like I've interviewed people and the vision is definitely bigger than them, but it hasn't like exploded yet, but it's, it's barely maintainable. And then I've talked to people that the vision, you know, is way bigger than them and it has exploded and they're trying to catch up with it or figure out how to breathe and live. And, and it sounds like because you had been doing the work over many years during Charlottesville, the, what you had created over with people over the course of, you know, those years was able to do something or provide something in Charlottesville. And it will do that. Now you're kind of shrinking back down to probably a little bit lick your wounds and heal and then also be ready for what's next. Mm -hmm. How do you live in that tension? The tension of a vision that is bigger than who you are or you know, and kind of going back to what you said and will outlive you. Hopefully mm -hmm. that's the, that's the hope. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great question. So uh, the first thing I want to say about Charlottesville and our role in Charlottesville is that um, it's been really important to share because none of the media did a good job at, um, at conveying that nothing that happened on 
those two specific days, August 11th and 12th, 2017, um, was all of that was fully expected. Oh, yeah. We had planned um, and we had the intelligence because of um, amazing, courageous activists, most of whom were queer, trans, women of color, you know, people have been in this who have... Uh, who don't have a choice yeah. of awakening yeah, to their exactly. states, <laughs> like people who are socialized white. And, uh, you know, our dear friend, Zayanna Bryant, who um, started with this open letter uh, to take down the white supremacist participation trophies, um, you know, a year prior mm-hmm. to all of that, um, that, that there had been others organizing. And so our role, you know, there was a personal part that I mentioned, just that I was awakening to these things and in the process of my own liberation. And then when um, when Charlottesville started to become the epicenter, you know, we really sought to come alongside and um, support with whatever infrastructure we had and um, the relationships that we had that we were able to, you know, put out the National mm-hmm. Clergy Call and um, myself and Seth Whispleway and our dear friend, Brittany. I Kelly love Brittany. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I just, um, I just want to place us in an appropriate yes. um, place for our, for listeners saying that, um, yes, we were on the front lines of perhaps white people opening yeah. to this, but in our institutional support and presence, we're very much coming alongside people in the community who were already doing this for so long. So a couple of things when you talk about tension, um, something that I've experienced in Charlottesville that I've seen in other places, but now I'm experiencing Mm -hmm. is that it's very hard to heal in the absence of justice. So, um, you know, Charlottesville, there was a lot of gaslighting. Mm-hmm. You know, there were activists, as I said, who laid out everything and what was coming. We knew multiple armed actors. We knew, um, you know, uh, that uh, murder was a high possibility, mm-hmm. the incitement of violence, like so many things, so many things. And then in the aftermath, so much gaslighting of, oh, we didn't know, (laughs) by government officials. And then the targeting of anti-racist activists. Uh, And then the weaponizing of the criminal justice system, allowing white supremacists to go after people of color and anti-racist activists. It has just been exhausting. And even in the process of this federal trial, you know, having to deal with continued death threats. Plus the re-traumatization of going back into that, knowing that you're probably not going to get the justice that you deserve. Yeah, I mean, we have had friends um, who've who've literally moved out of the country because of the threats to their lives in this ongoing work. Um, I just, I, yeah, and so... To see in the aftermath of a community trauma um, just how hard it is to heal in the absence of justice. Yeah. Uh, and then to understand now when we open it up into cultural groups that this exists generationally and that generational yeah. trauma carries over from Native communities in particular and, um, you know, who just yeah absolute yeah. justice like and then formerly enslaved people or people of african descent who have come from enslaved um uh ancestry it's just i mean you know we talk about our ancestry there's just whole people groups who don't have access to that because of tremendous yep. trauma um, and enslavement so and yet um there is this this vision of what is possible Um, and it's not just, uh, a vision that draws me in. It is, um, my increasing aliveness as I find the capacity to demonstrate living relationship Mm -hmm. with more faithfulness and with greater depth. Uh, 
so yeah what keeps me in it is that i see the objective fruits of life um i would call it the living spirit of god but you could also just call it life um very objective fruits you know it's not like a but um you know friendship beauty justice peace gentleness all of these things that are objective fruits I find in these places, and so it draws me in. And spirituality to me is our ability to demonstrate living relationships. Mm-hmm. And so the depth of my spiritual aliveness is the degree to which I can demonstrate these relationships. And I might start with myself mm-hmm. and my body and my concept of God, and I can demonstrate those things. But then the extent that I can demonstrate a true living relationship, like our interconnectedness Mm. with um, neighbor, the people who cultivate um, the earth that grows the food that I eat and demonstrate living just beautiful relationships. And then we talk about creation. Then we talk about ancestors and being faithful to our ancestors and the generations that will come, you know, the depth and the degree to which I'm starting or which any person is able to demonstrate a living relationship i think is the power um um, i mean it's it's it is the equivalent of coming alive spiritually but also the power to to call Mm -hmm. forward and so uh the greater degree that i've had the more it draws me into um just stories and solidarity with uh indigenous um indigenous people to start i mean it's also what gives me hope because if 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 a community can find joy in life in the absence of so much Mm -hmm. justice and in the face of so much violence um that is the life that is you know whatever is the source of that um surely can can provide healing for the world yeah so I'm, you know, this is stuff that I'm just still all learning again and and liberating, and then learning how to enter in as someone who has access to the power and privilege of the empire is also a really important part. Yeah. So it's it's complex yeah. and no easy answers and gotten yeah. it wrong. You have to be okay with getting it yeah. wrong to stay in. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that is beautiful. I I think one of the things that struck me as it's you know we're now well it seems like people are more aware of generational trauma maybe Mm -hmm. not to the degree that it would be helpful to people that have really held down generational trauma like indigenous people in the united states and other places where colonization happened but you know, living, like if we start to acknowledge generational trauma, that's the tricky bit. It's like, if we acknowledge it, then we have to do something, even if it's on an individual by individual basis. It, it just by its nature, it's, it's like, for instance, if I, if I talk about, you know, my abuse as a child, and I, and I, you know, go to my parents and I say to my parents, this happened and my parents acknowledge, okay, I believe you. Then they have to start to open up their own trauma and then, and then, and then, and then. Mm-hmm. But I think there's this piece that it's like, we want to... Uh, as a culture, we want to go, okay, yes, we see now that generational trauma has happened, but we also don't want to open it up to then see how to provide healing, you know, restitution, reconciliation, whatever needs to happen to, you know, you're not going to undo the damage, but bring healing, but it's, so that I'm saying that on one side, but then there's also this, like what you said about, you know, indigenous people somehow still finding joy, beauty, reclaiming the languages and the culture that they were 
forced not to be able to practice. And, and that being like a balm in the world, there's something in my mind that's like, yes, white supremacy just needs to be dismantled. White supremacy within structures needs to be dismantled. And this balm that is carried within people that are doing justice loving mercy there's something that i don't know i'm not I, i'm not being clear but i i can see it in my visionary mm -hmm. mind it's like they don't have to stand in that they don't no, have to save they don't have to us, save us like, it's not it's not their yeah they, no it's, it's not, not their, their job uh yeah but the beauty is that even a touch of that yeah Yes, it's a testimony. It, it heals. It yeah. you know it. It's like any person standing in. I'm talking personally. Any person standing in their own pain, getting like on an individual basis, getting therapy or whatever it is to bring healing, but also saying this happened to me. I'm never. I personally am never going to get justice for what happened to me. Right. And at the same time, I'm going to... But you could be yes. part of building a world in which that kind of... Exactly. And I'm also going to carry with me... Healing through that. Right. Those that have suffered in the same way, we're going to carry each other. And sure. I'm not asking... I want to be clear. I'm not asking black and brown people to save me. I, 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 I am not asking them to carry me in any way there's just a beautiful thing to watch it's like being in africa you know and then coming into a town and everybody's singing and dancing and obviously that doesn't happen all the time but i did get to witness it you know have a bunch of kids around me singing and sharing their joy with me there is something that changed me in those moments just because i was present there right well, here's, here's a few things that I hear, Angie. Um, so one is just the validation of generational trauma. There's been some really important yeah. academic work, uh, physiological work, where people actually see physiologically the imprint yeah. of trauma, generational trauma on people. And I think that that has, it's been important um, for people who spiritually didn't yes. believe. <laughs> I mean, so much of this, like, you, we've got to believe We've got to believe impacting yes. communities and, and um, people, uh, but certainly it is very validating when the oh, science for sure. community comes up. And this has been this has been the case in so many issues concerning. Um, well, this is a tangent, but you know the same thing happened in the abolition yeah. movement. I mean, science confirmed no people are all human. <laughs> yeah. Like scientifically, it's happened in the LGBTQIA yeah. movement. No, people are human and made in yeah. different ways. Like, you know, um, so it's validating, although still problematic, you know, in the ways that uh, power yeah. comes. So um, and that information is held and decided yeah. to be valid. So but yes, we it, it does also allow us in our in our context, those of us, again, um, with access to the power and privilege of the empire to, to be like, oh, oh, what I hear you asking then is why, you know, how do we, that now that we've awakened to that, can we also awaken to responsibility? Yeah. And I really like responsibility, yeah. <laughs> you know, people balk at this, like, oh, well, you know, I didn't directly do this or they'll even be like, yeah, my, my ancestors like didn't come over until the 1900s. And so they didn't enslave yeah. anybody here. And so I don't have yeah. to feel, you know, whatever. Um, I long for us to, um, bind ourselves in the, again, in this common yeah. story uh, and I think this is part of, again, where faith communities can really be powerful because 
we have this concept of um, of call, and regardless of who did what, I have a sense that our generation, the generations alive right now, are being called to account, to mm-hmm. repair. And whether my ancestors, you know, directly with their hands, whatever, did anything, doesn't even matter because what if I have an opportunity to yeah. repair and I want to, um, I want to join that legacy. I want to be, even if it, um, even if it costs me yeah. everything, I want to be a part of that yeah. legacy. Um, that changes and yeah. transforms things. And that's a really difficult thing, again, when people have access to power and privilege and yeah. comfort. I mean, we're seeing it over and over yeah. and over. It's like, well, yeah, democracy is dead, but I probably will remain comfortable through my lifetime. And so I can. Yeah, no future casting. As opposed, <laughs> as opposed to other. Um, contexts and places, um, you know, from Chile to Hong Kong, where that comfort is eroded. Yeah. I mean, like people just in mass out yeah. in the streets. I mean, in mass, like we, the U.S. has not come close to anything. And we have children, you know, being yep. imprisoned and ripped away from yep. their families. So um, I long for a collective response to what I would I would uh, say is the call of Mm -hmm. love and justice in this moment. I see it alive in the iterations of movement that we're seeing right now. Yeah, for sure. But there is not the en masse um, response that is really needed to overturn, overthrow a kind of system. Um, and that also, you know, we identified those in Restoration Village Arts um, in, the, in the projects that we seek to support is, you know, people working in, in the specific and intersecting movements of our day having to do with racial justice, immigration justice, queer justice, immigration mm-hmm. justice. Um, yeah. Yeah. So last question. What... What is the, for you, how do you self-care and do you have a spiritual practice? They can be the same thing. And by spiritual practice, I just mean, you know, it can be meditation or mindfulness or walking or what helps you keep getting up in the morning and integrating with yourself? Yeah. Um, I do um, have some very uh, important practices, but I will say that those have been cultivated out of necessity. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I did not live with that wisdom um, prior to becoming dependent on it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I, um, you know, I live with chronic pain and autoimmune um, disorder. uh, And that has drastically changed my life um, over the last nine years. Um, I mean, yeah. Yeah, for a long time you weren't able to play guitar, right? Or you had to, like, step way back. Yeah, yeah. And even still, you know, I I do play and I don't have any permanent kind of uh, damage for which I'm very grateful for. But, um, you know, these things that I love and are life-giving have caused me pain and yeah. that's a that's a that's a that is fucked up <laughs> tension they also it is they also give yeah. me joy in life and so anyway um it's been a journey with a lot of different doctors rheumatologists neurologists um my my pcp uh, a lot of different medications um and uh, diet and all, just all yeah. the things to kind of manage. And then I also have a, uh, 20 minute medical yoga Ooh. practice that's specifically designed wow. for me, um, so that I can do it no matter my level of pain and that it, it, um, works with my, uh, sympathetic nervous system. Cool. I believe those things. So, 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing that these things exist. And I will say that um, in my journey, I feel some, I've, I've felt the best that I've felt in years over these. I just turned 40 and I'm feeling really good. Um, uh, even though I, you know, my baseline is not yes. what I, you know, prior to all these things, I remember the act yeah. that I was <laughs> what I could do if I try, you know, I'm not there, but I'm, I, um, it also is a journey that has cultivated much gratitude in my life. So that's just fine. Um, I, yeah, so I, I am a yoga practitioner. I love, um, I specifically do, um, repeat, uh, you know, a practice where I know the, the mm -hmm. sequence because once you know the sequence, um, it, it can also be a, a different yeah. kind of meditation. Yeah. Uh, and you just really focus on breathing and breathing through it. Um, I've learned that I need to actually train my nervous system to be able to calm it yeah. quickly, you know, or, um, and that's been kind of like mind blowing. And so I have breathing exercises, the whole purpose of which is to um, teach my nervous system to be calm so that I can access that. When yeah. I need it. Yeah. Um, and I have varying degrees of success, you know, it's lifetime. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> um, I would say, uh, you know, it's hard because music and writing, um, are very much a spiritual practice, but since I also like use those professional, that's always like a gray area. If I'm, am I trying to be productive yeah, right now, or I have am, that I just, too. <laughs> am I just rejoicing in my? Yeah, that's a that's a continual, um, that's a continual uh, challenge. But I do that very much as a spiritual practice for me, um, and I love walking. Mm, so me too. Much just walking and thinking and being outside. Um, I could walk forever. So yeah, that's mm. a bit of what my spiritual practice looks like. I do really long for um, a ritual community. You know, we moved recently. And even before that, things were so turned upside down, um, you know, for us in Charlottesville. Um, I, I really long for a community where ritual and these things that we're talking about, these visions and these ideas and all these can kind of be um, reinforced yeah. and found and um, refined in in community. Uh, so that's that's what I hope develops in the coming years yeah. for sure. Yeah, uh, I, I do too. Because <laughs> I don't have that either. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's nice to have a place where it can be not only a, like a cauldron of ideas, but people that have your back when you venture out to, you know, take a risk and you can do the same for them. I think that's really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you want to plug, Tracy? Oh, gosh. Well, I would love for people to know that they can find my music at tracyhowmusic.com, T-R-A-C-Y-H-O-W-E, music.com. That's my social handle as well, at Tracy How Music. Um, I'm on all mm -hmm. the things. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I work for the United Church of Christ as well. Um, I work at the intersection of public witness and organizing and uh, liturgical community building. Uh, and it's a very cool thing yeah. to do. I'm very grateful for that. And part of what has been birthed in that work is podcast for a just world. Um, and that can be found on all the podcast platforms, podcast for a just world. Uh, let's see. I also will say that a lot of my um, friends and colleagues produce another wonderful podcast for particularly people um, socialized white or um, designated yeah. <laughs> by our by our systems who um, want to be alive in the work of dismantling white supremacy. Um, produce something called the Word Is Resistance. Ooh. 
Uh, and it's just amazing. It's actually a, a lectionary reflection. That sounds great. It's, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, it is. And uh, my my favorite person was just featured on that um, and uh, was a contributor. But all of the contributors are just wonderful, wonderful folk. So all those things. And Angie, I'm just mm. so proud of you and uh, so grateful for the work that you're doing and um, excited that you're going to Charlottesville. Wish I still lived. There. Me too. I'm so excited. But, I wish you still okay. lived there too. <laughs> yeah, you know it's not too far of a. I mean, compared to driving to Charlottesville, driving to Tucson from Portland, no, it's not that. So far. now I just have to do a <laughs> archery workshop in Arizona. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, not in the summer though. Yeah, no way. <laughs> not in the summer. No, that's why yeah. I want to be in Portland for sure. We'll yes. come to you in the summer. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tracy. This was great. My I'm pleasure. excited. I'll let you know when My it pleasure. when it drops, if you will. <laughs> that would be great. I'll promote all the things. Thank you. I love you. Love you too. Love you too. Give my love. I will. To I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. Wasn't that great? She is just such an amazing, gifted person and I am so grateful that she took time out of her schedule to talk to me and yeah it's just really meaningful to me and it is meaningful to me all of you who have liked this who have shared it who have reviewed it please if you haven't done that if you haven't liked shared reviewed followed whatever um, I really appreciate it. It helps me kind of know who's listening. And also, if there's anything that you want me to tackle on here that I haven't, or anybody that you think I should interview that I haven't, there's so many people, please just uh, shoot me a message. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And without further ado, please remember who you are. You are worth knowing. You are worth loving. You are worth being in this world. Stay safe and sane out there. Bye.